Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains almost overwhelming orchestral passion. In the last episode, we heard a piece called On the Cliffs of Cornwall. And I was thinking about where to go musically, what to play next. And then I remember being surprised by Wagner's epic opera, Tristan and Isolde. And then I found a brand new YouTube performance that's so very good, I really wanted you to hear it and see it. I remember as a student going on a trip up London to see Tristan and Isolde with my mates Mark, Simon and some other friends who were all music students. I think they were studying it. I knew very little about it and was shocked to find that this great German epic, the legend of medieval knights, begins on a boat bound for Cornwall. To be honest, I don't remember much other detail about the opera itself from that long evening into night. Mainly that Mark, always an excellent London guide, knew where best to eat and to get beer during the multiple intervals that would be cheaper than the London theatre prices. I do remember that at the end I looked down into the orchestra pit to see that it was empty. Miserable gits, I thought. I know it's a long show, five hours or so, but you're not even waiting to get the applause or applaud the singers. And then the theatre curtain reopened and the entire 100-strong band was on stage to take a bow with the cast. So my faith in the musicians was restored and actually it was a lovely gesture to give proper recognition to the orchestra who have to do so much of the heavy lifting in Wagner and I've never seen a full band on stage since. The Tristan and his older legend dates back to the 12th century, and Richard Wagner, Richard Wagner I suppose, was drawn to it, impressed deeply by its all-pervading tragedy. Very briefly, this is the story. Tristan has killed his older's fiancée, and she wants revenge on him. But he's taking her to marry his friend the King of Cornwall, which of course she doesn't want to do. There's a potion that's going to kill both of them. Only Isolde's maid switches it for a love potion, and they recognise instead that in fact they've been in love with each other all along. Throughout the opera, it's a mix of unrequited and not quite fully requited love. There's a long, long love scene, but they get interrupted. And then Tristan gets into a fight and is mortally wounded. Isolde flies to his bedside, arriving as he dies. And in the final aria, Isolde dies too, in what's known as the Liebestod, or literally, love-death. Love-death is actually a good summary of almost all opera plots, though Wagner actually called this a transfiguration. Wagner describes it like this. What fate kept apart in life now lives on, transfigured in death. The gates to their union are open, Isolde, lying atop Tristan's body, perceives the blessed fulfilment of her burning desire. Eternal union in measureless space, no bounds, no fetters, indivisible. Wagner is seldom a man in a hurry. Everything takes its time, and Tristan and Isolde is four hours of music. It's often considered to be a key moment in the history of music, even perhaps the invention of modern music. It's music that's more harmonically inventive, chromatic, as well as just more luxurious 
in terms of sound and length than anything that came before. Right at the beginning, after one uncertain phrase from the cellos, comes a chord which became known as the Tristan chord. That doesn't sound so unusual, right? Now music, or harmony, is all about push and pull, tension and release. What most composers do most of the time is take us on a harmonic journey that travels away from the musical key where we started before eventually coming back home again. And we know instinctively how stuff is supposed to go. This isn't about musical training, it's just we've all heard enough music that our brain expects to hear certain chords and for things to go a certain way. Our brain knows and expects a resolution to come. But this chord, here it is again, is cleverly ambiguous. It's neither one thing nor another. It's not clear what key it sits in. It's ambivalent. You could take it in various different directions. It's not obvious. And Wagner takes us on this long, long journey by going in all of the directions, often revisiting the territory but he doesn't resolve that opening chord. We don't get home until his older dies nearly five hours of showtime later. And what you hear and feel throughout the opera is all the tension, ambiguity, and uncertainty of the characters will they, won't they, or are they, aren't they, laid out in the music by this rich, luxurious orchestration and Wagner's mastery of musical push-pull, tension and release, or more accurately, tension and never quite release. It took several years after Wagner had finished the opera in 1859 for it to get performed on stage. So Wagner would conduct performances of just the prelude, the orchestral introduction, and sometimes the final aria, that love death, Liebestod, perhaps even without the singer singing Isolde. And what this means for us is that it's common, officially authorised if you like, to just play the prelude and Liebestod, the beginning and end of the opera which handily boils that four hours of music down to less than 20 minutes. And my earlier synopsis could just have been, she dies, you know. And what a terrific 20 minutes it is. The opening really sets up where we are. The low strings and woodwinds searching, yearning, asking questions before the first of many great climaxes.
It's music that rolls and rolls in at you like the sea, and sweeps you up and along. I kind of think that if it doesn't grab you at the first wave, then it's bound to at the next, or the one after that. Each climax is bigger than the last, until you get overwhelmed. The prelude is a microcosm, albeit a big one, of the whole opera, becoming increasingly intense and full of burning passions, that then finishes quietly, almost as we began, but filled with uncertainty and foreboding. And then we jump cut to the finale, and the singer Isolde enters. She's singing of the memory of Tristan, but perhaps it's more of a vision. Mild and gently, see how he smiles, sweetly opens his eyes. Do you see it, friends? Do you not see it? Brighter and brighter he shines among the stars. radiant, and like the prelude, becomes increasingly intense as she gets swept up, enraptured in her vision. She resolves to join him in death, singing, shall I dive in? Shall I melt into the sweet fragrance? Drown in the infinite universe of the world breath? Be engulfed, unconscious, without other thought? Supreme bliss. So she dies, and love wins out, thanks to Isolde being able to give up herself. It's uplifting, ecstatic, transcendent, spiritual. And as this journey of life, death, and boundless love reaches its conclusion, that opening chord, the Tristan chord, is played one last time, and then finally harmonically resolved. And Wagner brings us magically back home, transformed by love, transformed by music. So let's have a listen, see what you think. Click on the links in the show notes to hear this on YouTube or Spotify. It's the YouTube performance that brings us here, so I particularly recommend that. And then please tell us what you think with a comment at cacophonyonline.com, Facebook or Twitter. Please rate, share, subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends and family about Cacophony. If you really like what you're hearing, you can click on the link in the notes and buy me a coffee. Come back for more next time, and thanks for listening. <laughs>